0: A start on demand. demand.
1: Today is a day to listen, a day to hold space for the voices of Indigenous people in Canada, like Dr. Alika Lafontaine. Dr. Alika is president-elect of the Canadian Medical Association and co-creator of 215 Pledge. He shares how we can use the stages of grief to cope with the devastating announcements of unmarked graves.
0: My name's Alika LaFontaine. I'm an Indigenous physician of Métis, Cree, Anishinaabe, and Pacific Islander descent. My great-grandparents were both residential school survivors. A Day to Listen is an opportunity for Canadians to step back and create spaces for voices that often don't get heard in the way that they need to. It's a place for us to consider the history that we all share, the parts that we may not always keep in mind and create space for those stories that, as Canadians, we might forget, but as Indigenous peoples, we've always remembered. A data listen contains stories before investigation of other residential school sites were carried out. And so while we may reference the 215 children in Kamloops Indian residential schools. We did expect and now know that there are many other unmarked graves across Canada. We expect as we go through this day of listening that we may find more sites as we have these discussions. And so our hearts and minds are with all the children in all of the unmarked graves at all these sites across Canada. Truth and reconciliation always begins with truth and ends with reconciliation. And so as you listen to these stories, these lived experiences that you may not have been aware of before now. It's important to listen and really take these as truth, to process as a Canadian what this means for your identity, your history, and what it means for Canada as we build forward. A day to listen and the 215 pledge acknowledges that the healing process affects everyone who's involved. There's Indigenous families, communities, and individuals who, in the process of uncovering these unmarked graves, are going through a grieving process. But also as Canadians, Canadians will be going through a grieving process as they re explore their identity and what it means to be Canadian in light of understanding our shared history. The 215 Pledge provides a framework for you to process the grief you're going through provides a framework to come together and have these discussions and in the spirit of what the Downey Wenjack Fund has always been about it creates a space for us both to be prepared to recognize and acknowledge each other's grief but then move forward towards reconciling our histories to learn more about the pledge please visit 215pledge.ca to continue the conversation about residential schools and our shared history Please visit downywenjack.ca to keep learning. Thank you for joining us on this day to listen.
1: Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downywenjack.ca.
2: Mackling and McGarry, dry conditions have brought out the return of a pesky insect, And as Global's Abigail Turner reports, it's making for some sticky streets.
3: Lots of Winnipeggers noticing this sticky layer on their vehicle. And if you don't have that on your car, well, you're probably familiar with this sound. Take a listen. To put it in the simplest terms as to what exactly this is, well, it's aphid poo. We actually spoke with one winnipeg entomologist taz stewart who says because of the hot dry conditions aphids are really thriving right now in winnipeg
4: they're very very tiny and in the trees the the elm trees especially you'll see these little folded over leaves and what's in there is the eggs and the the, uh, little little baby aphids going in so it's very difficult to control them if they're inside that clutch
3: stewart says he hasn't seen aphids this bad since 2010 when we saw drier conditions in the province he said aphids are typically in one area of the city.
4: Ants love it. We don't because cars get very sticky. Um, your bikes, you're riding your bike, you can feel your tires, get stuck to them too, and these are, these are in the areas of the city where the large elms are, are being uh, being eaten, eaten on because the food source is chlorophyll for uh,
5: aphids.
3: Now, if you do have this sticky mess on your vehicle, Stewart suggests taking it to a car wash as soon as possible. If you leave it there for too long, it could actually damage the paint on your vehicle. Abigail Turner, Global News.
2: Whenever I look out of, of my balcony, GMAC, uh, I look down on Roslyn, and I always think, did it rain today? And then I remember, oh, no, it's, that's not rain.
6: It can actually come down almost as a drizzle at times of the day, depending on the wind and what's going on. I was in the North end yesterday. I was trying to get a hot dog at the North Star Inn, but they're closed Monday, Tuesday, Ah. and I did not know. So I parked on a side street and uh, I was like, what is going on here? And then I remembered, of course, that it was sort of aphid season. We don't have elm trees in my neck of the woods, at least not too many of them. And I haven't really noticed too much of the sticky stuff. But uh, good note with regard to the car and washing the car and the paint. And I try to keep my vehicle clean most of the time. Um, I guess I'll just have to be washing it a little bit more often if I'm heading into those neighborhoods where, where the aphids are active. And Taz mentioned something about ants. Ants liking it? The Ants can get lost from my neighborhood. Maybe I'll give them all a ride over to the different parts of the city with elm trees because my yard is absolutely over. Run with ants, and uh, I'm at a loss as to what to do about it. I guess Buzz Boss will be getting a call from me over the weekend.
2: <laughs> I used to park on, under a tree, it was so frustrating. I, I had a parking spot behind my apartment building. I used to live at Lord Harrow Apartments at Corden and Harrow, and there was I had I was in the second spot just off of Harrow, so the back lane came in off of Harrow. And uh, there was a sidewalk, there was a parking spot right beside the sidewalk, and I was the second spot in. And the tree on the boulevard, the the hang line of the tree ended just with my car. So the car beside me to my right was fine, but mine was disgusting. And to the point where, like, even my wiper fluid sometimes couldn't get it off. Like, it couldn't clean the windows. It would, like, my wipers would actually get stuck the windshield so this this is a plague and when just watching Abigail Turner do that report yesterday where she says can you hear this and she can tell she's doing just the little dance little shimmy lifting her shoes up and down off the ground yeah it's uh it's such a all the bugs we have to deal with I think I've said it earlier there's or last week or earlier this week there's like that magical zone. At the beginning of spring where there aren't any bugs and right. it's just nice outside and then it begins.
6: Well, it's funny because we have these cycles of life in Manitoba, you know, winter and we come out of hibernation in the spring, and you know, as much as we love the city, it's so ugly with all the residue and the sand and the salt and everything from the winter and fighting snow and plowing snow, etc. But you're right, that that's really our only bug-free season, and then we move typically right from winter to summer and then mosquitoes and then the aphids and and then the caterpillars and then we move into wasp season and we get into the fall and then it's almost like you can't wait for that first killing frost to get rid of the wasps and then boom it's winter again it's like when is the when is the perfect time of year in winnipeg i don't know if there is one
2: oh and by the way uh if the north star is closed don't forget the white top isn't all that far from there. Not to not to rain on the North Star or anything. It's they make great food too, but the White Top is an alternative option if you're in that neck of the woods, G Mac.
6: Yes. Yeah. Salter is a mess right now though. They're rebuilding Salter. And so I was by the White Top the other day. Can't remember what time of the day it was. It actually looked like they weren't open. So maybe we should we could uh, confirm. I don't know if you have any connections over there. Yeah, to we'll- find out uh, how uh, Salter Street and the construction over there is is treating their hours and their business and and access, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
1: These stories may contain details that some listeners may find distressing. If you are Indigenous and in need of support the Hope for Wellness crisis line is available 24 hours a day at 1-855-242-3310 or visit online at hopeforwellness.ca. Today is a day to listen, a day to hold space for the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Phyllis Webstat, the creator of Orange Shirt Day, a national movement of remembrance and an affirmation that every child matters. Orange Shirt Day was born out of Phyllis's personal experience and symbolizes resiliency and a way to honor those impacted by residential schools.
7: Hello everyone, my name is Phyllis Webstad. Hello everyone, my name is Phyllis Webstad. I am from the Kenu Creek, Dark Creek First Nation. I am coming to you today from the land of the Shuswap people in Williams Lake, B.C. I'm third generation Indian residential school survivor. I grew up with my grandmother, and when I turned six, it was the thing to do to send me off to residential school. She had sent her 10 children. So in July of 1973, when I turned six, Granny got me ready as well to go to St. Joseph, or we just call it the mission. We went to town here to Williams Lake, and I chose a shiny orange shirt to wear. Got to the mission, and my, my shirt was taken. No matter how much I cried or objected, they wouldn't give my shirt back, and That's where Every Child Matters comes from, is how I felt when I was there that year at residential school, that nobody cared whether us kids were crying, that we were lonely, maybe we were hungry, we were sick, we were sad, and we were five, six-year-olds. And there were no adults there to make things better for us. That's where I learned that my life depended on me. And it's really hard today to ask for help and to accept help. Even I'll be turning 54 next month and it's still hard. I am here and I get emotional about this um, because my grandmother survived. That's why we say survivors, because we lived through this. We wear orange September 30th to honour residential school survivors and their families and to remember those that didn't make it home. The residential school history is not only Indigenous history. This is Canadian history. It's no longer acceptable for Canadians to not know this history. And I'm glad that this history is being taught in schools, starting preschool, elementary, high school, colleges. um, And the children in the schools are going home and talking to their parents about it. So parents are learning. I hear people say the discovery of the children in Kamloops and my aunt and others, the families, they've known where the bodies are and it's more of a confirmation than a discovery. So I choose to use that word now instead. Right now, I know the orange shirt is uh, being worn by Indigenous and non-Indigenous people after the confirmation of the 215 children in Kamloops. And I hear orange shirts are going to be worn for Indigenous Day on June 21st and even on July 1st. So it's gone way beyond September 30th. And we chose September 30th because September is the month that the children were taken away. From the very beginning, it's like the whole orange shirt movement, I've heard it called, has been divinely guided. It's like the ancestors are behind this. When I see anyone wearing an orange shirt, what it means to me as a survivor is that you care. It's like a little bit of justice. Many of the people involved in what happened will never go to jail. They'll never be dealt with. And for me as a survivor, before I leave this earth, it's good to know that you are learning about this and that you care about what happened to us. So when you're wearing the orange shirt or you see an orange shirt, remember that's what it was meant for, to create conversation and honour residential school survivors and their families, and to remember those that never made it home.
1: Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downeywenjack.ca.
2: We just wanted to ask you about your favourite staycation spot in Manitoba, whether it's... In Winnipeg or outside Winnipeg, 204-780-6868. Shoot us a text. Tell us a story for your chance to win. Greg Backling, why don't we start with
6: you? Well, I love Manitoba being thrice repatriated. Yes, I I heard and answered the call to move west three different times, twice to Alberta, once to BC. But this is home, and I love Manitoba for as hard a time as I give it from time to time. Uh, my parents used to live in Minnedosa and Boise So when I would come home, I was sort of always in one of those two communities. I love them both. Absolutely gorgeous. The drives from Winnipeg out to Minnedosa and Boise Vane can be incredibly beautiful, depending on the route that you take. But right now, my favorite staycation spot is up at Leicester Beach, Canada Day weekend. Uh, Tomorrow is actually my buddy Mark's birthday. So happy birthday, Mark. Typically, we're all together, 15, 20 of us on the shores of Lake Winnipeg. But uh, with restrictions being what they are, we don't have a place to stay overnight. So we're staying in the city and we'll celebrate in a, at a backyard barbecue and get together tomorrow. So uh, my vote is for Lester Beach and the beautiful white sands of the east shore of Lake Winnipeg.
2: Right on. That sounds cool. That's a great
4: spot. Jeff Fortier, what about you? For me, usually a staycation is just on the couch in my gish with a fan pointing at me, especially in these hot weathers, but uh, (laughs) it seems like like a a good staycation. But you know what I I was thinking? It's been nine years since I did my internship, and I did it out in Flin Flon, Manitoba. That's somewhere I'd like to go again and, uh, you know, go see some of my old friends who I worked at at the radio station up there and, uh, you know, just actually go and explore the town. I didn't really do that much exploring when I was there, you know, I was by myself in a new world and... I was young, and but I'd like to go back up there and really explore Flin Flon and the areas around there. Cool.
2: That's a great idea as well.
0: Jeff Braun. Uh, mine's actually just a few minutes up the road from where Greg was talking about. I'm up at, at Hillside Beach, a buddy of mine, his parents built a cabin there in the mid-90s when we were in high school, and we've been going up there ever since. The last few years, we haven't gone as often. Of course, as you get older, it's just harder to uh, wrangle everyone for a weekend of fun. But a few buddies and I did make it up there last September, right before the second shutdown kept us at home, and we had a, a, an awesome weekend up there, just uh,
4: chilling in the woods. It was a lot of fun. Gorgeous? Uh, well, you know, I used to work in, you know, speaking of, I didn't, I had an internship in Dauphin, but I ended up working there for six months. But I used to take the extra, the long way around just so I could go up through um, Riding Mountain National Park on my way back and forth from Winnipeg, just because of how gorgeous it was and, and how fantastic of a drive it is. And I've always wanted to go and spend a long weekend at Clear Lake and Wasagaming and, and on and all there. And I've never got around to it. And so if I had to pick anywhere in the province, uh, yeah, that's that's where I would want to uh, have a staycation. I, I don't know why I haven't done it, probably because I'm too cheap, um, which is the exact reason why I know why I haven't done it. I'm just too cheap. Um, but I, I will get there one day. Ble- uh, absolutely, I will.
6: Well, no, when you do the purse strings, there, coitrus, (laughs) it's (laughs) worth it. I know it is. Too cheap to go camping? I'm totally
4: aware how worth it it is, but it's like at the time, it's it's so ridiculous. I'll be out on a vacation and I'll think, oh, you know, I really like that map, but it's ten dollars, and and then like I'm kicking myself in the head like six months later says, why didn't I just spend the ten freaking bucks that didn't matter? And it uh, like I don't know what the it's like a sickness. Now, is you it? spent $1,500 to get there and will not spend $10 on it. You're a, totally right. It's completely logical.
2: <laughs> now, is it because you, you feel like if you're going to spend money to go somewhere that you should leave Manitoba?
4: Um, no. <laughs> okay. No, that's totally not it.
2: Okay, I was just I was wondering because some because you know for some when you think vacation you think I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to leave the province if not the country, but uh, you don't really have to go that far to have an otherworldly experience. Like for me, uh, this I mean every year I have my Laker Classic, so that that ends up being a four day staycation. This year we're going to Hecla Resort and hoping in later July to for my new. Uh, golf event, the New Nine Invitational in Minnedosa and Nipawa. Uh but uh, the, my spot is called Barrier Bay Resort. It's in the Seven Sisters region and uh, I went there a couple of years ago. It's like a little little romantic kind of cabin getaway and we stayed there for a week and it was just <laughs> wonderful and it's you know it's always nice when you get to a spot like that and you step out of your car and the, just the air. Smells different, you know like that ah we're we're not in the city, we are out in nature, and it's lovely, and there was a pool, so even though we could go down to the the water to the beach, there was a pool right there uh which ended up being uh, we had some adventures in the the actual water in a in a paddle boat, which I won't <laughs> go back into that story. we got ourselves in trouble, so the pool was ended up being <laughs> the best part, but yeah, it was just it was a really nice spot and I'd never been. To that particular region of the white shell, so yeah, that was really good. So, Ron, I wanted to ask you: you like going to the to the beach? If when it comes to the lake, do you prefer beachside, or do you like do you have what about lakes where you just sort of step off a dock?
0: Oh, um, that doesn't really matter to me because uh, I, the older I get, the less inclined I am to actually. Get myself wet in a in a lake of any sort. I, I, if we're talking about the South Pacific, where it's crystal clear water, that kind of thing, or in the Caribbean. Then sure, I'll go swimming. But uh,
6: Manitoba Lake, yeah, not so much.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and for and uh, but and of course, Greg, you won't set foot in the water, right?
6: Oh, open dun, dun, bodies of water are no-go dun, zone for me dun, dun, i think you have a dun, i think you have a story dun, in your news this morning jeff that emphasizes exactly why that is and until somebody can prove to me there are not sharks in lake winnipeg i I will, <laughs> I will stay out of it
4: i i don't know if we can confirm or deny uh, greg i'm not sure we can do that <laughs>
2: Some impressive numbers, Greg, coming out of the effort to vaccinate Manitoba.
6: Incredible numbers, Brett. On Monday, Manitoba administered more than 35,000 doses. That's a single-day high for our province, so that is incredibly outstanding. There were approximately 27,000 doses scheduled to go into arms yesterday. This, along with news that vaccine distribution and deliveries from manufacturers are running on all cylinders, means that Manitoba will administer two hundred and twenty thousand doses of vaccine this week. And a shout out and thank you to Tom Broadback of the Free Press for putting this information into an easy to follow column last night.
2: Now the math says by the middle of next week, Manitoba will likely hit seventy-five percent of the population with a first dose. And the percentage of Manitobans with a second dose could or should hit 60% by the 9th or 10th of July. That's tremendous news. Well done, Manitoba, and well done by the province, the healthcare system, the vaccine task force, etc. So, you know... The question of the day on that, by the way, is brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204 832 Are you confident Manitoba will reach its August-long vaccination milestone by mid-July? That's 75% first dose, 50% second dose. And just looking at the results at cjob.com. Oh, no, I'm not going to look at them because I thought I had it open, but I guess I don't. do not. <laughs> LOL. Okay, here we go. Uh, pulling up the results now. And it's uh, 62% say yes, 38% say no. But uh, looks based on that math, Greg, looks like we should have no problem hitting that. But the September-long milestone, is that going to be tricky?
6: Yeah, I think that's going to be trickier because now you're you're getting into that area where there are people who are vaccine-hesitant or have zero intention of getting the vaccinations in the first place. So uh, yesterday, the province announced uh, some initiatives from some different communities in order to get those communities vaccinated, uh, almost like a a ground attack to to get out there and to send the message and to encourage people to get those vaccinations and give them some resources to do that. I mentioned it last week while you were on vacation, Brett, that I'd seen Dr. Fauci on television, and he said that in Washington, D.C., he was actually out knocking on doors with members of the Washington, D.C., medical community in order to let people know, hey, here's where we're at. Here's where you can get your vaccine, whatever they need to do to kind of get that that next 10, that next 15% of the population engaged. That's what they're going to do. We've seen a, a pop-up drive-in clinic at St. Amant Center last week. I know there's a pop-up clinic at uh, Lila this morning. In fact, my kids are getting dressed. They're heading over there this morning, hoping to get grab one of the Pfizer Uh, vaccines that are available there on a walk-in basis today. So uh, lots of efforts, lots of unique approaches to getting vaccines in arms. So uh, kudos to the province, kudos to to Manitobans who are stepping up and rolling up their sleeves.
2: I want to tell the boys to hurry up because uh, Global's Abigail Turner in in the 7.30 News with Jeff Braun is going to provide more details, but it looks like there are already over 100, 100 youth lined up to get uh, one of those shots today. They're lined up with lawn chairs and blankets, and then eventually they're going to hand out tickets with time slots so that they can come back rather than have to sit there all day. But that's good that the boys are getting ready to get their second shot, and it's good that those clinics at Leela, they're going to be going all week from 9 a.m. until 3.30 p.m. with those uh, Pfizer shots that have been set aside for the youth but uh yeah I'm super encouraged by the the rate at which we're going like when I walked by the convention center a couple of days ago I was sort of taken aback at how busy it was because it was busy at the start of course and then it just it seemed to kind of slow down and there were some days where you I'd walk by and it was as though nothing was happening mm-hmm. and I think that that probably just had to do with the fact that the eligibility rate sort of staggered and then things picked up again once they started boosting the eligibility quicker uh, now that uh, everybody can get in on this. It seems like there really is a genuine race. People want to get back to normal. And uh, I'm, I'm eagerly anticipating my hard copy of the immunization card.
6: Yeah, no question. Sunday night, we drove through the downtown on our way home from a from a barbecue with family. And I remember, gee, what's going on? That's right. The vaccine clinic is open till nine PM now, so they've extended those hours. And once again, I've been very critical of the province at, at different points in time on their logistics and the rollouts of, of, of certain things. But it looks as though the, they are full steam ahead and really have this machine uh, working at uh, at full capacity.
1: Today is a day to listen. A day to hold space for the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Harriet Visitor, niece of Chani Wenjak, a 12-year-old boy who died fleeing from a residential school. Harriet shares her personal story, the impact it has had on her and her family, and how she works each day to be a positive change.
5: Bonjour. Um, Harriet Visitor, Nindish Nakaz, Makwendo, dem. My name is Harriet Visitor, and I am the niece of the late Cheney Winjack. I sit on the Downey Winjack Fund as a board member, a liaison for my mom and her sisters. As soon as I was born, I was impacted by an unseen brokenness that was brought upon me. And to this day, I am learning to undo and change in myself and my children. I'm an educator and I say that my son is the why I teach and my daughter has become the how I teach. When the announcement came of the findings of 215 children at the Kamloops Indian Residential School, it totally floored me. I was speechless, I was in pain, And it was so difficult to teach the next day. I couldn't see my students' faces, but I could definitely see their hearts. And it was so hard to teach. When I was trying to process what I was feeling myself, I felt the enormity of what my fellow educators across Canada were feeling. And I knew that my students needed to hear me speak about it. And on the first day, I couldn't. And I understand how educators feel in teaching the residential school history. When I've had to share my late Uncle Chaney story in September, Secret Path Week, Orange Shirt Day, the reactions of my students are always heartbreaking for me. When they realize that I'm part of this story, they express sadness. They often come to me and I acknowledge and I spend time talking to them about our sad history. My Uncle Cheney's story is just one of 150,000 stories. And I tell them I understand what our story is. I understand and see how painful our story is. But as I look out to my students I also see our future. And I say that it's my responsibility to walk with you because you're going to continue our story. And I always think about that when I'm teaching whatever I'm teaching my students. But after the, you know, the findings of those children, it became very difficult during that time. There's a long road ahead of us in terms of Canadians learning to understand that's different from learning. We all learn, but learning to understand is another step beyond just learning. And in our indigenous families and communities, it is a long road to, for us to undo and change what has happened to us. As I look out at my students that I teach, I am reminded of my mother on one side, in the stories of residential school survivors. And on the other side, I have my students. And I tell them, uh, I know our story is painful. And I call it a story because I tell them, you're going to finish our story. I'm going to walk alongside you in our story for a time, and then I'll leave. But you're going to continue our story. You are our our future. But when I look at our story, I tell them, I know it's painful, I feel the pain, I know you feel the pain too, but when I look out at you, I tell myself, we're strong, we are a strong people, we are resilient, why? Because you're here, you're our future, you're going to continue our story and I want you to remember that, remember you come from
1: strong, resilient people. Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downeywenjack.ca. Today is a day to listen, a day to hold space for the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Theland Kiknosway, At just 18 years old, Thieland has spent his life advocating for Indigenous issues. He is completing his seventh annual journey from Winnipeg to Ottawa to raise awareness and funds for missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit people.
8: So, hello. My English name is Thieland Kiknaswe. I am Cree and Potawatomi from Wapul Island First Nation, Kejonong Territory. As a young Indigenous youth growing up, I always heard, you know, all these different stories uh, from residential schools, the 60 Scoop TB sanatoriums, and, and now missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, two-spirited individuals. Indigenous women and girls represent 16% of all female homicides in Canada, while constituting only 4% of the female population. Indigenous women are three and a half times more likely to be victims of violent crime than any other women in Canada. Growing up and hearing these, uh, hearing statistics and and hearing the different tragedies and hearing stories from, from families, sometimes there's moments where you feel like you can't do anything. You feel helpless. But then there's other times when you realize that you have to do something. When I was nine years old, we had this vision to run across Canada to raise awareness for Indigenous, missing and murdered Indigenous women little nine-year-old said that to his mom. And um, I, I remember telling her and she was like, what do you mean you want to run across Canada? And, um, you know, I didn't realize Canada was really big at that time. I was eager. I was nine years old. And um, I, I knew from, from kind of that moment that we were going to make this dream come true. You know, we started it when I was 11 years old. I'm 18 now. We're in our seventh year and we're, we're still going strong. Unfortunately, the violence hasn't stopped since I was a kid and it still continues today. So, you know, however long that we must run, however long that we must have to continue to raise awareness to this this issue and and bring light to this, you know, we, we have to continue to tell people the horrible things that are happening in our communities and outside of our communities. I'll continue to share those stories. And right now, we're on our seventh annual journey. For a missing and murdered indigenous woman, girls and two spirited individuals. We are biking from Winnipeg to Ottawa. But like I said, you know, from a young age, I knew I needed to do something about this. You know, I didn't I didn't want to just sit around and I had to go out and, and try and make sure that people were hearing this, that they would educate themselves about the issues and epidemics um, around indigenous peoples. And so with uh, with different platforms and just using our voice is how we're, we're going to get our message across. So, you know, it, it's not just one person's voice that's going to be able to lead everything, but it takes a community, it takes a collective to do all this work. So if we have everyone's voices in unison, we can, uh, we can sing really loudly to the masses.
1: Today is a day to listen. A day to hold space for the voices of Indigenous people in Canada. Like Heather Baer, Vice Chief of the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations in Saskatchewan. Heather is a survivor of the LaBrette Industrial Residential School and was a day scholar at the Maryvale Residential School where 751 unmarked graves were recently recovered.
9: My name is Heather Baer. I'm from Ochapwee's First Nation, from the beautiful Unceded Unsurrendered Treaty 4 Territory. And I am Vice Chief for the Federation of Sovereign Indigenous Nations. I want to, first of all, acknowledge our heavenly creator today. It's a beautiful day. And with the unearthing and the uh, evidence that has come forward with uh, the little children that went missing so long ago, the little children that went missing, that we heard stories about, and we t- say whispers. I'm a survivor of not only a residential school in Libret, but also I was a day scholar at a residential school uh, in Mariville, where, of course, uh, we all know 751 unmarked graves were discovered. I know there was always stories as a day scholar at Mariville, and when you think about the realities Just imagine those children, those babies, and every one of them, they had a name, they were loved, they had families, they weren't just a number. You know, the thought that they had died lonely, they died afraid, they died abused, the way they died, the whole circumstances, it's just so profound in light of everything that's coming. And you know, that understanding about healing that we we don't all heal at the same time. You know, and thinking about where do we go from here now? What is the path forward and why? There's a reason why. Why at this time has this happened? And I can only think about the revitalization of our culture. Of course, you know, when you look at the genocides of our people, it was cultural genocide. You know, our language, our culture, our values, our customs, everything good about us was being stripped away. Our descendants that were left back without their children. Can you imagine your town, your city with every child was taken? You know, there's an uh, amazing song called Amazing Grace. I was lost, but now I am found. I think of those little children that they're uncovering. And I think of, I was blind, but now I see. You know, I think of uh, our white brothers and sisters uh, 1772, I believe, uh, John Newton, I think was his name. A captain slave trader wrote that song after a miserable storm and he cried on to God. <laughs> a miracle happened. And he wrote that song. If he could change, they say, there is hope. And I think that song does represent hope and humanity for all of people. When we go back to treaty, We made that promise that we would live in harmony with our white brothers and sisters. So that to me is something that is sacred. Those promises were made with a pipe. So the creator is involved. And I'm a strong believer in that. And uh, I know that there's hope down the road for us. Our uh, white brothers and sisters need to do the work uh, in repairing and doing what you can do to reconcile And reach out because I know there's a lot of you that are traumatized. It's not only First Nations. There's many non-First Nations peoples right now that are crying and feel ashamed and feel hurt. And, you know, what does that say about your history, right, (laughs) and legacy? And that's not a lot to be proud of, but it's not your fault either. But uh, I think we all have a responsibility for, you know, a better world, a better tomorrow. When you look at the whole reason why this happened, it had to do with land, power, and money and to get rid of the Indian problem. But we're here to stay. And uh, like I say, tomorrow, there's always tomorrow.
1: Today is a day to listen. To learn more about how you can do something, visit downeywenjack.ca.
2: And Greg, I know that uh, you have uh, prepared something that you wanted to make sure that we got in today before the end of the start.
6: Well, there's so many incredible stories we're hearing today. And my hope for a day like this is that it starts us down a path to a place where the stories that we're hearing, the pain, the vision, the hope, become our stories, Canadian stories, Canadian history. Right now, it seems as though this history, these stories, of the horrors of residential schools, as an example, are seen exclusively as those of the Indigenous peoples of Canada. Once again, this is our history, our story, Canada's story. And I hear too often about the power of these stories and the reality of these horrors to divide us. That having these truths come forth will pit non-Indigenous and Indigenous Canadians against one another. It will... Stir the pot, one listener texted earlier this week, that these truths will divide Catholics and members of other churches who ran these dreadful facilities with Canadians who don't attend church or practice religion. There are some who believe no good can come out of this darkness. So many of us feel right now. In my mind, in my heart, I believe that we cannot build a bridge of any type without first understanding the size, shape, and scope of the work involved. Whether the bridge is a metaphoric one between people or a physical one designed to connect two shores of a river, both need to be engineered correctly, carefully, in order to serve their purpose, to fulfill their need. Building a bridge too short or too narrow achieves nothing. We must understand the scope of the work the foundation on which the bridge will be built. We need to determine the materials to be used. We need to decide on form and function. We need to take into account the people who live on both sides, who will want to use the bridge. Will it serve more than one segment of the population or economy? And let's be honest, how will we pay for that bridge? Canada is an amazing country filled with amazing stories and history. We are also a country with a dark past. There isn't a person among us without regret or parts of our personal stories and lies we wish we could correct, or at the very least events and transgressions that we wish we could apologize and try to make amends for. How bright our collective future is depends on our ability, our willingness to attempt that desire as a people, as a community, as a country A people with a shared vision, a shared desire to plain and simply make things better. Dare I say, to build a better bridge for all of us, for all Canadians.
2: For the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza, we've been asking you today to text us about your favorite staycation. Because staycation business is booming. In Manitoba, even though travel restrictions are starting to lift, people, for the most part, seem to be looking to keep it local, find something in the city, outside of the city. We heard from Jeff Braun. He likes Lester Beach. I think it was you, Greg, who said, or, or is it you who said Lester Beach?
6: Yes. And uh, Braun is Jeff Hillside. Is- Yeah, Jeff's just up the road a little bit at Hillside, yep.
2: Okay, and uh, Fortier said he usually just sits around in his underwear with a (laughs) fan uh, (laughs) beside him on the couch. And uh, I said Barrier Bay Resort, and Cam says he really needs to get on the staycation wagon, but he's too cheap. So we wanted to hear from you. And, And we have gone with Phil for the win. What did Phil have to say, Greg?
6: Well, Phil says... I, being an anti-bug, anti-tent, anti-camping type, I guess anti-outdoors altogether makes it challenging when you have a wife who is the opposite. We often compromise and stay at Heckler Resort. It satisfies her necessity of being in the bush, and it satisfies my needs of room service, air conditioning, spa-like pools, and massages. I think it's a fair compromise. If you can get your hands on the cinnamon buns at the Harbor Restaurant, it makes for the ultimate staycation. They are truly the best cinnamon buns. Uh, Phil, I think we should pass this along to the folks at Lakeview. Lakeview, This makes an outstanding commercial. I don't know if you get any better than this. Covers all the bases. The only thing he didn't mention was golf, Brett. That's right. And
2: uh, they have an amazing golf course at Heckla. He adds, camping. Why would you want to live like they did 200 years ago? I would have never survived. In the olden times, LOL. So congratulations, Phil. You win the $20 gift certificate for Santa Lucia Pizza. And I'm kind of with Phil. Camping is just not my thing. I think it's partly because I've never done, like, what I would consider real camping. I've gone to Red Lake Falls. I think that's the one of the only spots where I've ever actually set up a tent. And basically all you do is you drive into this field, and they just have it divided into, like, actual marked lots, and you just set up a tent right there on the lawn, and you're surrounded, like, a, just surrounded everywhere by tents. And uh, I don't know, I would imagine maybe, like, a, having a private spot with maybe mm-hmm. surrounded by more trees. I know our boss, Brent, he likes to, he's got some secret spot out there somewhere that's on the edge of, a, of the water, and the pictures he gets are just magical of the stars. So that's something I can, like, I get it. I understand Why? people like that kind of thing because it looks so peaceful, especially if you've had a busy week at work and you can get out and just enjoy
6: the peace and quiet. I get it. Yep. What you did was sleep in a tent, Brett. I don't know if that qualifies as camping. There's a difference there. I think you're there for, for the tubing and some of the other activities that that go on. It's sort of like saying, yeah, I camped at Sunfest back in 1993. (laughs) No, you didn't. You slept in a tent. You passed out in a tent yeah. or somewhere <laughs> something else in a tent. In all likelihood, <laughs> what our boss does is wilderness <laughs> camping, and I like it sort of somewhere in between. A nice spot at Grand Beach is fantastic with the trees and the and the campfire. There are some terrific spots out in northwestern Ontario. I think Ontario does a great job of their campsites. Yeah, there there is an in between there between what Williamson does and what McGarry does. Let me rest rest assured on that.
2: When the only other time that I tried it. Uh, we took a road trip out to Wisconsin, and the 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 guy who organized it wanted to. He had picked out this a, a, a campground. It was an actual campground, so I thought, all right, you know, he he know, I know he likes to camp, so he knows what he's doing. We got there, and the lot we were sitting on was basically like just this pile, this hard pile of dirt. It was awful, and I whined like a child the entire time, and I essentially forced my girlfriend to pack up and leave after one night. I said, I'm not doing this. We were staying in a hotel, and we just drove until we found a hotel. And I immediately went for a swim and took a nice hot shower and said, I'm never doing that again. (laughs) I'm a baby. Gary
6: is with accommodations as I am with food. I know what I like, and I like what I know.
1: Today is a day to listen. Radio stations all across Canada are elevating the voices of Indigenous people in Canada, like Isaac Murdoch, an Ojibwe storyteller and traditional knowledge holder. Isaac encourages everyone to take grief and negative energy to create a beautiful and better future for all children.
10: Indigenous. do Nimki Ajbekong Ninda Hello everybody, my name is Isaac Murdoch, and I'm from Serpent River First Nation. Years ago, a lot of the old people talked about what was happening. They knew that the lands were being stolen and that they were putting children into the residential schools to reprogram them so that they'd never be a land based people again. And of course, the old people always talked about the old days of being a free people on the lands with their own government, with their own laws, with their own sustainable economies. And they were doing well. They flourished using their traditional knowledge that was passed down for thousands of years on how to live in the forests sustainably. And it took a high level of education to achieve that. And of course, we all know that this was known as the Indian problem. And so, of course, young children were taken into residential schools to be reprogrammed. And so that they'd never go back to the forest again. So this way, Canada could have a free-for-all in resource extraction. And as a result, the lands and waters have been devastated. And so here we are in 2021, And there's been the discovery of of several grave sites now of young children that were buried. Some of these children were murdered. Some of them lost their lives during the the flu pandemic. And it's it's a true tragedy. But here's the thing. Right now, a lot of these policies still exist in the Canadian framework. But we need to take this as an opportunity to, to rebuild. We need to take this tragedy and this genocide against Indigenous people, and we need to to rebuild. And what I mean is, is that Canadians have a responsibility to fix Canada. And when Indigenous people and Canadians come together in a good way, with a good mind and a good heart, we can create the most beautiful, most safest place for our children. And during climate change, during an ecological collapse, during political divisiveness, I think that our young people deserve this from us. As adults, we have a moral and ethical responsibility to everything in our power to make sure that they have a future, a good future, where diversity can thrive, where Indigenous people can of course have access to their lands where, you know, the education that's being taught to our young people will teach the young people about diversity and about being able to survive ecologically on the planet, because that's something that's missing. So we have a lot of work to do. Everything that happened at the residential schools is directly related to the lands, the theft of the lands, and resource extraction. And we have to start connecting the dots and start you know creating a new path away from that sort of destruction and into something that's absolutely beautiful. I think creating beautiful right now is so important. That's the medicine that will save everything. It doesn't make sense to fight anything. It makes sense just to create beautiful. Because if anger and and beating people up and oppressing people is the problem, then the solution has to be the opposite. There is no other option. And so I think that, that we all have a lot of work to do. But I also believe that Canada has a huge job ahead of them in making sure that this place is safe for everybody. And I believe in unity, and I believe in people coming together.
2: Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Loren McNabb in for Jeff Courier joins us now. Hello there, Loren.
11: Oh, and just as a heads up, you might hear the kids too, because one of the things I realize now after working from home is that we're back in these summer days where um, the children, the children are five (laughs) feet from me, just trying to beg for some video game time. And and here we are. Hey, Mom. So if you hear some shouting, that's what's going on.
6: (laughs) Just give it to them.
11: Just let it happen. Like give up on day one of summer vacation. Just zero yep. rules. Just give oh, up. My oldest just looked over when I said that. He likes where you're going. <laughs> He's like, is, is you this know happening? That's way, you Mom's know giving that's up. The way
6: it's going anyway.
11: So <laughs> you, you do know well that, Greg. Just... You you do know that. Except for that, usually shouldn't happen till like what August. I feel like that August long weekend is when you're like, yeah. <laughs> I just, early
6: worm gets the early bird gets the worm. How does that phrase go? Just you know what, it's flip inevitable. it on its head.
11: Just. I should make July all about. Nonsense and August, we really batten down the hatches and start, yeah. There studying you go, well, you're building and...
6: towards September and getting yeah. back to school. That's the uh, way you can frame it carte yeah, blanche so July.
11: <laughs> carte blanche July. Once again, they're in immersion, also looking over when I said that they understood. Okay, so uh, we won't be talking about what the kids will be up to today, but I did want to give that heads up just in case you hear them in the background. They're going to scoot upstairs, I think, in a few minutes' time, but. You guys have started off with such a tremendous programming this morning on this day to listen, and I can't get over all the different voices and what they've had to say and sort of that running theme of healing together. It's really been incredible to listen to, very inspirational so far. So, of course, that will continue after the top of the clock. We also need to talk about heat. We're working to bring on someone from our global Okanagan newsroom, because it's just sweltering out there. And of course, it's actually very deadly for many people, dozens of lives potentially lost. And of course, this also has people asking about climate change. So what does that look like? Is this a sign of climate change? Or is this more of just a a one-off, a one extreme event? We'll have that chat at 1145. And then we need to talk about the Vatican. The Métis Federation will travel to visit the Pope later this year. What? Words do they need to hear? We'll have that conversation right around 10. Yes.
2: Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast. Wherever you find your favorite podcasts, subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think.